There then is an expectation of God on our lives for growth and maturity and forward movement. And I want you to hear that word expectation. And I don't want you to be afraid of the word expectation. Because people today don't like being told what they're supposed to do, right? We want to tell others what we're doing, not be told what to do. But I'm telling you here, Peter, in the moment, says, guys, here's the expectation. That once you've been empowered, then there are steps. Listen, there are steps you are to take. There is a level of responsibility, and everyone's starting to tune out. Because I put the word expectation and responsibility out there, and nobody likes those words. You like to use them for your kids, but no one can use them for you, right? It's like there's an expectation and there's a responsibility. And this morning, I want to, to look at this, this in the eyes, through the eyes of Peter and see what we can learn from that. So take your Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We're going to go to verse 11. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen in front of you and behind me. It says this. This, is not, this should be familiar to you. His divine power, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You could stop right there, but we're not going to. We're going to keep on going. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, because of this, because of what you just seem to be true, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And supplement your virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness or perseverance, and perseverance and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he or she is blind, having forgotten that he or she was cleansed from their former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you in an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this morning, what I want you to see in the, in the beginning part is that there is this work that we celebrate that God has done, right? That's what we see the language. His divine power has granted to us. And so we come this morning and we, and Peter wants us to, to celebrate the work of Jesus and the work of God of what he has done in our life, right? His power, his power has given us everything we need for life. Like, when you think about this week, all the things you feel compelled to pray into and to ask God for because you feel like something is lacking in your life, Peter says, listen, our, our knowledge of Jesus allows for everything we need for life to already be provided. We celebrate this fact, right? We celebrate that, that in this moment, through our knowledge of Jesus, we have everything we need pertaining to to godliness godliness 
We sit there all day long. Oh, God, sin is so strong. It's just beating me. God, I just I can't make it to sin. He goes, I've already given you everything you need for godliness. Christ-likeness, conquering of sin, right? We celebrate that God's done this work in us. And then this also means, and look at this, we celebrate the fact that we can know Jesus. He says you have these things through your knowledge of Jesus, not mental, like, this uh, facts you've ascertained, but literal, like, intimate relationship, personal knowledge. Like, I wake up, I'm like, what's up, Jesus? You were holy and awesome. How are you? Oh, I love you. Oh, I just love you so much, right? A personal knowledge of Jesus. And he, so, we, we, so we, can, we have this. We have this, right? It tells us that he has granted to us. I mean, past tense, granted, the moment we came into relationship with him, he granted us his precious and very great promises. Like, have you ever done a promise study in your Bible? Have you ever done a promise? Somebody raise, just raise your hand if you've done a promise study. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I did a promise study back in college. Like hundreds and like maybe like over a thousand promises in Scripture. But something that, that these promises he's talking about is a, a promise for eternal life. Like, and he's not talking about promise of heaven. He's talking about the moment you enter into relationship with me, you've entered into eternity with me so you can know me. It's the promise of eternal life. He tells us in Hebrews the promise, he will never leave us or ever turn his back on us, right? That he promises us here an empowerment. And Acts 1 says, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit and you will be filled with power, right, to do the things of God. We've looked at over the last several weeks. See, he promises for each of you who are in despair or who are depressed and who are overwhelmed, he says, I pro- hey, I promise to put you in a family that loves you wholeheartedly. You are no, listen, he says, he promises, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Like, that's a pretty big promise, that you get to go from being a servant of God to a friend of the most holy creator. So the promise comes with, it's like all kind of like trickle down, which means then how do, what do I have a promise of never having to fear again? Because creator God's on my side and who could actually stand against him? So I stand in this promise of creator God saying, you don't have to fear about your children you don't have to fear about your future. You don't have to fear about your finances. You don't have to fear or worry about anything. Because I am God. It's a promise that he gives us, right, that he puts us in family. And so he's given us, it says here, he's given us this ability. Listen, hear this, to escape from the corruption of the world. Like, do you believe that? Do you take it honest truth what... What the scripture says that he's given you power to 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 conquer and escape from the corruption of the world. The work of God's grace in our life is powerful. It's effective and it's complete. Hear that, my friends. The work of God's grace. Stop. God's grace. His ability, his power, his goodness, the Jesus stuff that you haven't earned, that he gives you just because it's your inheritance, because you're his son and daughter. You wake up and like, oh my gosh, I've got all the Jesus stuff I would ever need. 
oh my gosh, this is like this room went from being empty to completely full to overflowing and out the windows and out the doors. All of God, his goodness, his grace, that's his grace. The Jesus stuff you haven't earned, he's poured it out into your life, right? And so in this moment, in this moment that he is in, through his grace, the work of God's grace in our lives, through the, the work of God's grace in our lives, listen, it's powerful, it is effective, and it is complete in you, in Christ. And so this morning, he has empowered us with his spirit, providing us the ability to be Christ-like, to escape the corruption of the world, and express his gifts and his fruit to a world that is desperately in need. Jesus has done this beautiful work in your life. And so let me say this, the proper, the first response and the context of empowerment is to come to Jesus and thank him. The first act when stepping out of the series is gratitude and thankfulness. You see, the great truth of our life is that when someone does something, we thank them. And so often in our life, we look and all we think of God as is the one we go to when we're frustrated that we can moan and groan to and make him do the thing that we want him to do. We never sit back and say, thank you. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for sending your spirit. Thank you for giving me everything I already need for my life. Thank you that you've already given me everything I need for Godness. Thank you, Jesus, that you've already done this work so I can escape the corruption of the world. Thank you for the unlimited promises that you've given me as a son or as a daughter. I am just blown away today with gratitude. And thankfulness. Why do you think it says we shall enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise and then make our requests known to the Lord? How many of you love it when all your children do is ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and demand and ask and demand and ask and demand and demand and ask and never thank you for anything? No hands. And the sign of maturity is when our children begin to thank us for all the long hours we spent driving them to and fro from soccer and football and basketball and softball and from dance and cheerleading, God forbid, all of these things, right? No, this moment... And so I'm telling you, when we come out of this series of looking at what God has already done, it then leads us to a place of gratitude and thankfulness. And that's where we begin. We launch from empowerment and we go, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. 
See, we've come into this season, and there's lots of reasons and needs at Vintage. Right now, we found out yesterday one of our uh, small children at Vintage, Ezra Fullerton, has leukemia. Just found out yesterday, right? We've already sent our elders down to pray for him. It's very overwhelming. There's lots of stuff like this going on at Vintage, and we are beginning to just. But you know what? We're leaning into Jesus, and we're praying for healing. And let me tell you what God's done in me about praying for healing. That's been unique. Is I now enter into every prayer time for healing the same way now. God, I just want to thank you, and. I spend about two, about two minutes in this worship. God, thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your kindness. You are such a good, 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 good father. You are so loving. You care for us. Lord, I'm so, th- and I name the person, thankful that you love them, that you called them, that you set them apart for your purposes. And like every single time, I find myself emotionally undone because God is expressing his, like in the moment, like he's just, he's just so thankful for, for, for this child. And he loves them so much, right? I enter in to pray and ask for healing, right? Healing rest restoration and working of a miracle. I always just come in and just, I begin by worshiping him and I worship him. And you know what? He heals. And then sometimes he doesn't. And you know what I do then? I thank him and I worship him and I give him gratitude because he is God. See, the place of maturity in our life as believers in this idea of empowerment is that I start all day long and I stop moaning and groaning and making it a lifestyle. I know when people aren't. I know when people are wrestling in life. And even wrestling in their own relationship with Jesus. When complaining and moaning and groaning is the first thing that I hear from their mouth and I ask them how they're doing. You know what I mean in that? Or like when they, they talk to you and all they can do is talk about things that are frustrating or people they're frustrated with, whatever it may be. Because the idea is that there's just like, there's this place. And I don't mean you have to always like say, everything's great. And it really isn't. But you know what I mean? That, that people whose lives are so dictated by frustration and darkness and disconnect and a lack of gratitude and a lack of connection, it's like it just wells up inside of them. And I'm saying the beginning of our life And our journey with Jesus of power is to say, God, I'm going to be a person, even though I'm going to be walking through hell, I will worship you because you were with me and you were good. That's the first step. So we're out of empowerment. We're out of empowerment now and stepping into the reality of it. And we're just beginning to worship and, and praise God. And what Peter then does, he starts with this gratitude and he shifts gears in verse 5. And he says this, for this reason, because of the things you have to be grateful for, because of the work that God has done, past tense, you can celebrate. Now, make every effort to supplement your faith with, and he names this long list, supplement with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness slash perseverance, with godliness, with brotherly kindness, and with love. Right? He comes in the moment and says, now, God's done this work. Now, I want you to supplement. I want you to, to, to work very hard to add these things as a primary traits that define your life. Peter speaks to the reality of our Listen, He speaks... To the reality of your role in your spiritual and personal maturity and growth. Your responsibility, right? This reality of your role in growing and maturing in your spiritual life. That's the phrase we see in the and in, in make every effort. 
Make every effort literally means zeal and seriousness on the part of one who has received the gift of God's power in our lives. Make every effort means with zeal and with seriousness, I devote myself to this purpose. He's saying, now that you've received this, right? Add to your faith. Faith represents salvation. Now that by grace, through faith, you've been saved, not by your own works, lest you should boast, you have to work hard. Francis Chan, literally when speaking about this exact scripture, he began the whole thing and titled it this. This is the question. At what do you work hardest? At what do you work hardest? Because the idea for, for, for Peter here very clearly is like, God's done this work, now make every effort as a primary pursuit, the thing that you are working hardest at. What is it? And he's coming and saying, listen, the thing that you devote the best of your energy to, that you work the hardest at, is this personal growth and maturity in Christ. You're adding to, listen, God has saved you. Now you have a responsibility to, with the best of your energies, to work as hard as you possibly can. Right? This is the idea here. This is the idea. To make every effort to supplement, to add to your faith, and to grow and to mature in Christ. The call of Peter is clear, and he's on the screen. Work hardest at growing the character traits of God in our lives. For when we focus on being the person God wants us to be, then we will accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. There's this idea here of spiritual growth. So let's just press pause and say, Steve, I believe in grace. I don't believe, I, I, be, I believe God's going to work hard for me. I believe that I just need to focus and God do this work. And, and that's great. But the reality for us is this. God saves us. And there's nothing we can do for that. Our works and our actions will not save us. Our works and our actions, they will not make God love us any more than he already does or ever will or ever has. And God and our working hard for him is not going to actually actually make him appreciate us anymore. What our working hard is is simply our honoring the work that he has done in us. That's what we see the language being here for Peter. The language I want to introduce to you in this discussion is this word honor for Peter. Growing in these traits is honestly how we honor the giver of such a good gift. For Peter, you've got to recognize the backdrop of this letter is a people. I'm going to have to go history on you. So just press pause real quick. Do you know that when a writer was writing, he would make sure he was using language that the readers would understand, right? Like he would, he, like you write letters, like the letter I would write to my wife would probably look and sound different than the letter I wrote to my children, 
right? Because they're younger. They couldn't use the same words. I made sure that I, uh, back, you know, back when they were little, I used lots of like cartoon analogies to make sure they understood what I was saying, right? I was using language that they would understand from the culture that they were a part of. And so Peter in this moment is the backdrop is that he is writing to a people who were heavily influenced by the Greco-Roman world in which they lived. They lived under the Roman rule, Roman empire. And the emperor at the time, depending on when the letter was written, was either Nero or Vespasian. You've heard those names in your history classes, right? And so they're literally writing under the rule of Roman people and the culture of Rome had impacted them. So in this setting, what we find is, a, is, a, is this in, in place, public benefactors. Public benefactors were a natural part of the landscape. And in the day and age, Roman nobles, excuse me, no, nobles and people of influence, they would compete with one another with the purpose of enhancing their family prestige by doing great deeds on a civic level, right? They would give great gifts for the good of the city for the purpose of receiving honor, this should make sense to you because how many of you have walked into a hospital with someone's name plastered on a plaque as you walked by it? And so there are public benefactors on behalf and the betterment of the city. They gave $1.5 million to go towards this hospital wing. They would go to some dinner, receive some little like token of appreciation. People would stand up and clap for them and go, oh, my gosh, they are such great people, right? And all of a sudden their name would receive honor and prestige and people would think that they were great and that their children were great. That's what's happening right here. Public benefactors. It's part of the Greco-Roman Culture and every single person understood this. Then they would be honored publicly. They'd be honored publicly with the formation of great statues in their likeness, with great inscriptions, describing their virtue. And in turn, these benefactors become new models others were to aspire to become. And some of you are checking there like, I hate history, Steve. I hate the name Vespasian and Nero. I'm already bored and I'm kind of asleep. Better redeem this because I think this is pretty lame. But you have to recognize that Peter recognizes the language of public benefactors. And you can't officially understand unless you recognize this is actually the language that Peter is using in the moment to write to these people. He is using the language of public benefactors. And so when they read this, they thought, oh, public benefactor, this is the exact same language that I heard Joe Schmo get used the other day to be honored for his gift to the emperor. He's writing words in their culture they understand. So in light of this, Peter's language, again, exact language, we see Peter mention the the gift that's been given in verse 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He comes and he names the gift. He then names the virtue of the giver. His glory and his goodness, right? His great glory and his great goodness. And then the gift was named among the people so that everyone could see it, hear about it, and then respond properly. He's using language saying there's been a public benefactor, Jesus. He's he's a man of great virtue who's given this great gift, therefore, Honor is due to his name. Honor is due to him. Jesus, the great benefactor, right? And Peter, 
And Peter's looking and saying, okay, the best way to honor the great benefactor, it's not to build him a statue. He does not like them. You don't need to go build big cathedrals or churches. He doesn't need them. In fact, the best way to honor him is by building a virtuous life in honor of all that he's done and expressing his power and his goodness to those that are in need. Jesus is the great benefactor. He has great virtue and he's due great honor. Let's not write him anything. Let's not build him anything. Let's grow our life in the virtue of Christ-likeness. And he names this virtue, the knowledge, the self-control, the steadfastness, person. He goes down and names all the list. The idea for Peter is simple. The greatest way to honor God in our life is by working hard at growing a virtuous life. Listen, some of you grew up saying, I go, work on. Can't use the word work in church. That's a bad word. Works, works, works. And I say, agreed. If you think of works of having to please God, then die to them. You're thinking work to make God love you and get him to do what you want him to do. So I'm going to fast to make something happen. Then that's works. That's bad, right? But I'm simply saying, oh, God, I'm so thankful for you. You've given unbelievable gifts to me. And I just want to live in gratitude. And I want to honor you. And in honoring God, I'm going to give the best of my ability. Listen, I'm going to run the race as if to win the prize. I'm going to beat my body. And this is what Paul said. Scripture, I'm just quoting it for you. I'm going to beat my body into submission to make it obedient to Jesus, right? He uses this language, this marathon language to work hard as if to win the prize. He's saying, be competitive. I mean, listen, in a sense, he's saying, be competitive. People think competition's by the devil. Paul said it. I'm going to go against Clay over here. Clay, I'm going to get to Jesus first. Bam, take that. And then in humility, I go, no, let me help you get there to him also, because that's what it means to love, right? I'm going to love. So I'm going to work hard to get clean at the same time. Do you see the nature of what hard work is? Make every effort. Make every effort. Our work, I'll say it again, does not make God love us more. Our work doesn't earn us salvation. And hear this one. Our work isn't even required necessarily for salvation. I heard someone say, I was reading about this, and this guy, and this is a really kind of a bad analogy, but I thought it was interesting. He said, he said, imagine this work being like a salvation, like a cake. He said, man, like work is putting all the fondant, garbage stuff, majiggers, whatever on it to make it all like pretty, like a wedding cake. He said, that's great. It's like the work, it makes it beautiful. He said, and then you just have your cake over here with nothing on it, <laughs> right? There's no work involved in it. You're saved. You know Jesus. That's the idea here, right? That even, it's not, it's even not, necess- it's not necessary for our salvation. But it is this call that Peter has. 
It says as you grow in your, listen, as you grow, as you mature, then you give the best of your ability and you work your hardest to grow into these things to honor him. Is he going to like you less if you don't? No. Is he going to love you less if you don't? No. But Peter makes it very clear the reality of our lives in verse 8 and 9. For if these qualities, so here's the point. When you read a scripture like I'm about to read, he's like, it's like a comparison. There is an alternative, okay? So you think of the alternative on your own. Can you all do that? Think of the alternative on your own. Four, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. So can you see what the alternative is of that if you're not in growing in this, if they're not increasing, okay? It says, then you will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted in, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. Like, I, again, I'm not trying to, like, not go weigh you down. I'm just, like, saying this is a reality. It's like we, we've been saved We've entered into as a kingdom. We are a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. Now, let's give the best of the energies of our love to the one who's expressed the fullness of his love for us. Like, isn't that how we are supposed to? Could you imagine today if I said to you, uh, I've given about 35 percent of my parenting ability to love my kids today. I feel pretty good about that. I would hope that you would rebuke the hell out of me. Literally. Because what am I supposed to give to my child and to my spouse and to all of you? 100% of my parenting abilities, of my spousal abilities, right? I'm supposed to give the best of myself, working the hardest that I possibly can on their behalf to honor the gift that God's given in my life. I'm not doing it to make them love me more. I'm not doing it to earn anything from them. I'm doing it because I'm so thankful and grateful for the gift that God's given of them into my life. And I want to dishonor that by giving them the best of my parenting abilities. And so we do the same thing for Jesus. He's given the best of himself, literally. God gave his only son. He's making, like, listen, I didn't just give you something. I gave you my only son. Honor that. Honor that. And so then Peter comes and begins this this list, this beautiful list. And this list, listen, hear me. The list is not to make you feel bad about yourself. It's not to condemn you. Remember, you come in with a, listen, hear this. This is for somebody. The number one way that you conquer this struggle of having to work for God. Number one way that you, that you die to this like weariness of having to work so hard is just by entering into his presence with gratefulness and thankfulness. Because when I come in and I just focus on the goodness of God and his faithfulness and his kindness, I focus on his attributes and how they're played out in my life. And I just sit there and think, you know what happens? I begin to smile. The weight begins to fade away because I all of a sudden recognize how grateful he is for me and how much he loves me. And I hear him say, well done, son. But I'm not perfect, Dad. I know. But well done, 
I'm just grateful for you. I'm thankful for your life. Thank you that we're. Con- I'm just thankful you're continuing to grow. I'm thankful that you are that you're you're working. That you're giving the best. Because when we give, hear this. This is where grace comes back in. Those of you who are struggling with work, this work word. When I give the best of myself, then He empowers it by His grace, and it produces fruit. Wake up, O sleeper. Personal responsibility. Rise from the dead, personal responsibility, and then Christ will shine on you. Scripture. Wake up, O sleeper. Responsibility. Rise up. And then Christ will shine on you. I work to the best of my ability with gratefulness and thankfulness, undergirding me and understanding his unbelievable fatherly love for me so that when I work, it's not overwhelming, right? And as I work for him, as I lay hands on the sick and I do it with gratefulness and thankfulness, leading my time into prayer, all of a sudden he overwhelms with grace. His power is released and his goodness is experienced because we've honored him him with the best of ourselves do you see that paradox of working hard and doing nothing do you see how that works i work the best of my abilities but not only god can make it happen it's the paradox of working hard and trusting his grace we have this response he's given us everything now let's name some of these virtues and as we as we go through these virtues I want you to recognize these are big things. I mean, I'm about to say, like, godliness, right? And you're going to go, oh, that feels heavy, right? And, and I want you to hear me say this morning, my prayer, listen, this is important. My prayer, as I pray through all of these, is real simple. God, I'm going to work my hardest. Give me grace to do it. I'm going to work to the best of my ability, but I need your grace. I'm going to get the best of my abilities, but I need your help. I'm going to give everything that I have, but I know it's not going to be worth much, so you've got to come and meet it. I'm going to lay hands on the sick, but if you don't show up, we're all in trouble. All right? I'm going to be, I'm going to be faithful to share the gospel with the stranger. Please come and bless it. <laughs> right? That's what it looks like. That's what Peter's naming. So these virtues that we're going to name this one, these are the things that God says, all right, I want you to work hard. Here are the things I want to grow in you. So we become aware of these things. And the idea is very, very simple. They're not going to condemn us. May they challenge us to show us the areas of growth. Because what I find for a lot of people in their life, in this kind of walking with Jesus, is they really don't know where God's trying to move them and grow them. Like, ah, and so some of them, God forbid, think they've arrived. Think they have everything they already need in the kind of maturity sense. And they're like, yeah, well, me and Jesus, we're great. We're buddies. We're fine. I'm saved. And Peter looks at you and say, that's great. But in that, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that they're blind, having forgotten what it was meant to be cleansed from your former sins. There's an area of growth, my friends. So I'm going to name this list, and I'm going to ask that you would, I'm going to pray, God, don't condemn them. Don't let me condemn. Just awaken these areas that you want to grow them and mature them, and they see it as that beautiful challenge to begin to pray into, to work towards, and ask for your help in. Number one, virtue. 
So the first five we're going to name are, th- are things in your inner life. Okay, the last two are your outer life, outward life. So virtue. This speaks of us and uh, speaks of a life focused on moral excellence. To do the best that I can possibly do and not be satisfied with anything else because of my desire to honor and please Jesus. So I live my life right. I'm praying. I'm going after virtue, and I'm saying, God, with moral excellence, doing the things to the best of my abilities, giving the best of my abilities to work, to parenting, to being a spouse, to to, to church, to my neighbors. God, I'm going to take every single gift that you've given me. I'm not going to hide it. God, I'm going to, I'm going to just pray for it. I'm going to die. I'm going to go after it, God, until it's birthed inside of me, until it begins to explode for those who are in you. God, I'm going to, to the best of my ability, growing these things, virtue, moral excellence. Steve Prefontaine, anybody watch ESPN game day yesterday? I watched it. They did this thing on Steve, Steve Prefontaine from Oregon. And he's like this major catalyst for the Oregon football team. He was this great runner back in the 70s. You saw him run the Olympics, those who were older than me. And he said this. And this is one of his great quotes. To give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. I love that. To give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. God's given you this gift, right? He's given it to you. We don't want to squander it. He says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts in First Corinthians. Why? Because we get ignorant. We grow cold and we stop going after them and we don't see them move so we think they've died. He says, no, eagerly desire them. Go after them with the best of your ability, right? To give anything than, less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. I love that virtue, the best of our abilities. Second thing is knowledge. If this is the Greek word gnosis, it refers to experiential knowledge, not this passing acquaintance. It refers to a living knowledge of Jesus, a living relationship. So he says, he says so by faith you've been saved. That's where it begins. Now, going after excellence, right? You want, to be, you want to be great in all of these things. And so grow in your knowledge of Jesus. Not just a mental ascent, but in everything. Because honestly, everything in your life of growth and of birth is birthed out of you. You knowing Jesus intimately and personally. This intimate knowledge of knowing he's for me, not against me, that he is, he is with me, not far away, that he loves me, does not hate me, that he is kind. I don't have to fear him unhealthily. I just made that up. That's not a real word, unhealthily. But you know I'm getting at it. The third thing we see is self-control. He's saying, go after self-control. Why? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit go after this. It speaks to the inner, the inner power to control one's own desires and appetites through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, to think that you cannot control sin in your life is a lie straight from the pit of hell. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Oh, I'm just going to give in again. I'm, I'm not Jesus. No, you are. You are a human being like Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Sin does not have to conquer you. Self-control. Jesus, I'm going after self-control. Empower me to do this because I can't do it in my own strength. Number four, steadfastness slash perseverance. 
A life lived with deliberate purpose whose loyalty to faith causes them to be unswerving in their commitment to Jesus. A deliberate purpose, a choice every day to listen to to loyalty to God, a loyalty to my faith because of my unswerving commitment to Jesus. I love this. It literally means the ability to withstand a heavy load. I don't know about you, but I know lots of people in life who have heavy loads, things that they're struggling with, right? And Christians are great at loving Jesus and being Christians when everything is going well in their life. Oh, I love Jesus. He gave me a new car. I love Jesus. He gave me a new job. Or I love Jesus because all hell is broken loose in my life. I can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I know he's for me. He's not against me, and he loves me. Oh, and I will withstand this, and I will defeat the work of the enemy through the power of Jesus in me. The best of my ability, working hard with the power of Jesus sustaining. Number five, godliness. Simply a lifestyle of surrender to God, obedience to his word, and a continual heart of worship before him, living in Christ-likeness. The traits of Jesus. I'm going after godliness. Peter wouldn't call... Listen, this is so important. Scripture, listen, Scripture would never call us to something if we could not attain it. Am I going to be perfectly godly? You're going to continue to grow in godliness because he's pretty big for eternity. I'm growing and growing and maturing just like from infanthood to growth to birth to maturity to maturity. I'm growing in godliness, growing more godly, more godly, more godly, more godly, more godly. It's a journey that we're on, a lifestyle, a lifestyle of surrender to God, obedience to him, and a continual heart of worship. Those are the five inward. Number six is outward. Brotherly kindness is the Greek word Philadelphia, phileo. It means a brotherly love, a brotherly kindness. And listen, this is so huge for us. It speaks to having an affection for one another in the same way you love your personal family. And it speaks to belonging in family. You see, when Peter here is saying you need to have a phileo for one another, He's saying the person next to you who's not part of your family is just as important to you as your children and your spouse sitting next to you. There's no barrier. When you give your life to Jesus, you're now part of one spiritual family. In the eyes of God, you're all equal to one another. Like, let's just be honest. We are an individualistic society with our own nuclear family that's by far the most important to us. And we'll trample on somebody else to protect our kids. And there is no phileo in that. And you have to wrestle with that because some of you, listen, you've made idols of your family and made idols of your children. And you think that they're better than and more important in all honesty, in the eyes of Jesus, biblically speaking, they are equal to the person next to you. And that's hard because you've been told other than that. I'm just telling you, that's phileo, that's maturity, that's how you know you're growing in Christ. So you look at someone and say, my gosh, she's a daughter just like my daughter. We do foster care. We bring these children into our home and we treat them the same way. They are just as important as Anna, Catherine, and Sarah. And we treat them as such. And we give equal time to all of them because they're all of equal importance. Phileo, brotherly kindness. 
Number seven is love, agape, agape-style love, a life lived with the sacrificial love of Jesus flowing to those in need around us for the work of the Spirit. Agape is I sacrifice myself for the betterment of somebody else. I die to self because I want to love someone. I want to sacrifice what I want, what I need, I think, so that someone else may live, right? I'm going to live simply so that others may simply live type mentality. I'm giving of myself. I'll just say this. I'm going political for one second. For those of us who are struggling, who are struggling with this refugee crisis, agape says, I sacrifice my own security so that others may simply live. I sacrifice my own security, my own safety, so that others may simply live. And some of you just got really angry. I can't believe he went there this morning. But you have to listen. The refugee crisis is not a political thing. It's a theological thing. And the only way you can look at it is through a theological lens of what Scripture says. The only arguments I'm hearing from people is political arguments of personal safety. And there's no such thing as personal safety in Scripture. It's all about what is what God wants in death to self. It says, if and when you suffer trials of many kinds, there's this call of death to self so that others may simply live. Wrestle with that. Wrestle with your agape. Wrestle with who you're willing to love. I mean, these people are saying, let's just let Christians into our country. Does that sound like Jesus? I only want to bring my people into my promised land. Or do I want to bring all who are lost and dying and hurting and bring them to salvation? Do you know who needs Jesus more than anyone in the world? Muslims. Because they've been lied to their entire life. And Jesus, we're not going to them. We need to wrestle with the fact that maybe he's bringing them to us because we're afraid to go. Just wrestle with that. Wrestle with the nature of what agape means. Wrestle with what phileo means. It doesn't mean brotherly love for other Christians. It means brotherly love for all of your neighbors. A.K.A. the Good Samaritan. This is the story of Jesus. Jesus loved us completely when he saved us. He expressed the fullness of his love when he empowered us. And Peter's language to his readers is simple. Now you honor the gift, his gift, by becoming like him, by working hard, giving the best of your abilities, and not being satisfied till all of these traits have been grown inside of you. All of these things, right, that will keep you from being blind, that will keep you from saying, I've forgotten what he's cleansed me from my former sin. I'm going to give my life for those who are in sin so that they may be saved. They can come to know Jesus in the way that I am so I can brotherly love them so that I can agape love them with the best of my abilities as Jesus empowers me. We have been called to be empowered, to lay hands on the sick and to celebrate their healing, to share the gospel with those who are so far from us that we would say we're actually loving our enemies. Isn't it dangerous that we're not sure we can say we're actually doing a great job of loving our enemies? Not agapeing them very well, not phileoing them very well. And Peter's saying, you're empowered, God's given you this, but you know you're mature when the traits of Jesus have been manifest in the fullness of your life. And you give the best of yourself for the rest of your life 
to see these grown. You work hard. You live in a place of thankfulness and gratitude so your heart is clean and light and pure before God. You work hard and trust then that he will move by grace and bless what you've, what, all, everything that's going on the way that you're being obedient to him. Honor him. This is the language of Second Peter. If you want to be empowered, and the language of Peter is very simple. You are empowered. Now, give the best of your ability to supplement and add to this faith that saved you these traits so that you can grow in Christ-likeness and maturity.